I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way a war was fought, and the way a story should be told. And since we are often recording these on a Sunday, and just the nature of what we do here, (laughs) um, we also call it the Storyteller's Church, um, where we talk about and mull over all things story, everything from fiction to family lore. Um, And today we're, well, we're talking about, well, not so much story as perhaps the types of people who end up telling stories. Um, The observers among us, we are talking about outliers, which is something I've been thinking about a lot, um, in part because there's also so much talk about it right now. Um, People feeling estranged uh, in general. You know, I think outliers were, or at least people people who considered themselves outliers were a pretty small segment of the society. And more and more of us are increasingly identifying that way. when you look it up, when you look up Outlier in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, um, it's a person or thing situated away or detached from the main body or system, or a person or thing differing from all other members of a particular group or set. Um, For instance, like an outlier in Faulkner's body of work, or then there are the corporate outliers, people who just don't fit into the culture of the company. Um, This is all according to uh, Merriam-Webster, of course. Um, And, you know, I know several people who just revel in their outlier status. They genuinely don't enjoy being part of a group, Um, And this is not, you know, something that has happened to them because of COVID or over the years. You know, this is is something that's lifelong. You know, they don't want to be a part of a group, at least not one that isn't loose and sparsely populated by people who themselves bristle at affiliations, you know, whether they be political or professional or simply hobby-related. Now, it's not that these confident nonconformists like people, not necessarily. According to their own self-reporting, many outliers have very strong interpersonal relationships like a ride-or-die best friend or close marriage and a loving, dynamic rapport with their children. In fact, many people who identify as outliers say they simply prefer the mile deep to the inch wide and are perhaps at their core suspicious of conformity. Even when it comes to issues that are close to their hearts and align with their values. Now, I think about what it means to be an outlier a lot because I probably am one. I mean, I say probably because I've never really been comfortable with that moniker. I do feel conflicted about feeling like the perpetual observer, even though I know that it's part of my nature and that it is often part of the nature of a writer. Um, But I do feel conflicted about being that outsider who never quite fits in. And I don't even know for sure that other people view me this way. It might be my own distorted view of myself 
you know, one born of being a child of immigrants, of being a fantasist, of liking long walks taken alone, and the solitary nature of cold winters, of preferring books and movies to real life, oftentimes, of thinking spam actually tastes pretty good. Um, since many of you who are listening to this are probably nodding along and saying something like, yeah, that's me too, then I question whether this makes us outliers at all. I mean, if a lot of people consider themselves outliers, or at least as having outlier tendencies, then does being an outlier even exist? Maybe. The real question is this. What does it really mean to have something in common with a group of individuals? When I lived in Prague in the 1990s, the only obvious thing that I had in common with the friends I made there, people I consider my people to this day, was our spirit of adventure. Each one of us had packed our bags and bought a one-way ticket to the wild, wild east, having no other plan than to experience whatever came our way, to inhale the sweet gas of life, as author Tom Robbins put it. We were middle-class state school kids and rich Ivy Leaguers, poets and lawyers, city slickers and the smallest of small towners, the popular kids and the nerds. It was the only time in my life when I felt like I was a natural part of a group. I didn't even have to try to fit in, and I rarely felt out of my element. I mean, this was even though my friend group was a mishmash of people who often didn't even share the same country and culture. We were American and British, Scottish, Canadian, Irish, Australian, Czech, Croatian, German, French, Korean, and Californian. Before then, since then, I've mostly found myself nose to the glass watching people in other groups cavort. The ease with which they fall in together, their shared sense of humor, their similar political views and literary tastes, fashion sense and recreational activities, all of these trigger within me a complex brew of envy and longing. For these group members, it seems to me every day has the tempo and tenor of a garden party. One made of hearty, harmonious agreement. Now I'm quite sure this isn't really the case and that the people who are part of these groups struggle with all sorts of things invisible to me. The office politics, the falling out with friends over affairs of business or affairs of the heart, the digs, the one-upsmanship, keeping up with the Joneses, the toxic in-group cultural bugaboos that can really bring an individual down. For all I know, most of these folks feel a deep sense of loneliness and isolation within their own in-groups, even if they'd never in a million years consider leaving them to seek out new friends. But among all the convivial people in my sights, I've been especially cognizant of those 
who defy characterization altogether. The ones who are able to leave and join new groups with apparent ease, essentially never seeming like outliers, no matter where they are or with whom they're socializing. In my observations, most people like this, well, they aren't fakers or habitual charmers, but they are very adroit at finding out what they do have in common with others and leaning into that hard. I think about the army brat or corporate animal. I mean, each time they move to a new state or country, they have to do their utmost to fit in, find people with whom they can laugh, confide in, share time. Now, what most of these on-the-move types have told me is that they often find themselves onboarding to different groups depending on how, at least in their estimation, they intersect with the culture of their new environment. It doesn't always work out as they hope. A friend of my daughter's, a diplomat's son who moved roughly every two years during his entire youth, explained to her how strange it was to go to high school at one of the international schools in Dubai, in the Middle East. I mean, how poor he felt there, even though he knew that by any reasonable standard, he was a comfortable, fortunate, and worldly young man. Yet, in a class where every girl sported a Birkin bag, and one of his peers, I kid you not, drove a gold-plated Ferrari, he felt like a scrappy outlier who was never going to be able to keep up. I can relate to his story of how a mere change in location has the ability to distort our perceptions of ourselves like a funhouse mirror. I vividly remember the discombobulating feeling of being universally liked at one school, welcome at every lunch table and as a participant in any playground game, and then shunned when I transferred to a different school. Nothing about me had changed, and my new school was just across town, not on the other side of the world. It wasn't even noticeably different on a socioeconomic level, as both schools were private, Catholic, and catered mostly to the middle class. But an altercation I had with a mean girl on my first day essentially made me persona non grata. Can I play? I'd asked the girl and her group of friends. They'd started a game of Chinese jump rope at recess. I'd approached them carrying a full packet of lemon drops my grandmother had packed in my lunch. Only if you'll give us all your candy and be our slave, the mean girl replied. My rejection of her terms, I actually thought she was kidding at first, violated some unwritten social contract at that school and I found myself as the social outcast of my third-grade class. At eight years old, it was the one time I was an accidental and total involuntary outlier, and to this day, I shudder thinking about it. Now, according to Malcolm Gladwell, who actually wrote a book about outliers, we humans are not the independent thinkers we'd like to think we are. He says, the values of the world we inhabit 
and the people we surround ourselves with have a profound effect on who we are. I certainly felt that at the school where no one would talk to me. Everything about me seemed to change in that one awful year, and I was powerless to stop it. My posture, voice, temperament, and confidence, oh God, my confidence shifted dramatically. I felt tongue-tied all the time, and even unsure of my own point of view. I was sick more often. This was, as I look back, a turning point. A time when all I had left to me was my interior world, and I inhabited it completely. In one fell swoop, after a single encounter with the wrong girl, I was made aware of what it truly means to be on the outside. I also became suspicious of groups, but it didn't stop there. That experience made me question my own nature and my very ability to make friends. It took everything I had to pull myself back together. I have to wonder if this was the experience that made me start considering myself something of an outlier, even if I had sort of outlier and tendencies, you know? Even more so than being an oddball immigrant or an interior person, which I am, a fantasist, a spam lover. It's really hard to say. It's certainly possible that most self-identifying outliers have faced similar social dilemmas, some pivotal pivotal event, excuse me, that made them reconsider this whole group thing, you know, and start just turning inward. Maybe most outliers don't start out as socially recalcitrant at all. Not in our hearts, no matter how much we might protest to the contrary. The very fact that most of us even endeavor to be part of any group, which is a separate issue from actually being good at it, is evidence of that. And that we're capable of being deeply wounded by rejection indicates that we're pack animals after all. Maybe we're the runts of the pack, the ones who are always a bit out of step, but we're still bona fide members. So I want to end this today with a quote from Maya Angelou that I found, which I think is just spot on. She just says, we allow our ignorance to prevail upon us and make us think we can survive alone, alone in patches, alone in groups, alone in races, even alone in genders. So, Thank you for being with me here, (laughs) fellow outliers or not. Um, This here is part of building a community. And to me, it's important um, this year, you know, I talked to you about uh, New Year's resolutions and about some of the resolutions that you all sent in, people had sent into my newsletter, which I will put a, a, 
a link to my newsletter if any of you all would like to join. But you know, some of the some of the New Year's resolutions that you sent in were just great. Um, reading the classics was one of them. Of course, uh, not eating meat was another. Um, eating better, of course, and and exercising. That those were really big. New Year's resolutions, being better to oneself was also up there. A few of you had talked about taking time for yourselves. Um, one reader in particular said that she was going to try to stop mothering people. Um, a few people also wrote in about friendship. And you know, I thought about that one a lot because a couple of years ago, actually it was the year that COVID started, I decided that I was going to expand my community for my New Year's resolution and that I would accept every invitation that came my way, even if it's one I didn't really want to accept, I didn't feel like going or whatever reason, and that for every invitation I ex accepted that I would extend one. And boy, I started that on January 1 and then just a few weeks later in March, COVID hit and that one resolution took me through lockdown. Um, that's not an exaggeration. The community I made just in eight weeks, it was incredible. And so this year I decided to, um, well, kind of to do something similar to that and double down it. And I'm going to make a friend this year, a true friend. I'm going to identify a friend, which I already have, <laughs> that, um, that I want to, uh, deepen my relationship with and um, I'm really going to make a concerted effort to make that happen so um, anyway I'd love for you all to be on that journey with me because I think it's a really important one given how estranged people have been feeling um, certainly since COVID but before that um, and also how comfortable and easy it can be to just retreat into our own worlds and I think it's worth questioning whether that is good for us and um, how much we should lean into that so um, thank you thank you for being here have a wonderful week and if you are enjoying cold please hit the follow button on whatever platform you are listening and if you will I would also really appreciate it if you could leave a starred review. Um, if you have the ability on your platform to leave a sentence or two about why you like the cold, great. If you don't wish to do that and you just want to leave a starred review, that is just fantastic too. I really don't have an opinion on that. I just want to know what you're thinking. And please, please do spread the word to your friends. Word of mouth is really the only real way that anything spreads in a, in, well, in a genuine way that matters. Um, and we're trying to bring people into this community who want to be here, who value this. Um, and I'm fine doing that one person at a time. So thank you. And until next time, stay cold, my friends.